There's something I didn't tell her about Sabine. Which is? She went with the enemy willingly. Impossible. I saw it through the force when I held the map. Well, that is troubling. Troubling. She could have ended this. No throne. No war. And no Ezra. She was fated to make that choice. There wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right one. The Force provides you with insight, but it does not give one all the answers. Meaning? Perhaps for Sabine, it was the only choice. A choice she made for herself. That is your fear. On second thought, tell me one of those stories. Your choice. Very well. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to our 217th Night Sister Slinging episode of Mandovision. I am your night podcaster, Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small independent Star Wars podcast. We're so glad you're here. Remember, the best way to find us is to reach out on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show at MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share this show with all the Mandalorians in your covert well how is everyone doing it is the day after part six of ahsoka and what an episode this one jam-packed with with all kinds of stuff in there and i'm still sort of processing assessing gauging how i feel about some of the reveals some of the hints some of the clues to what may be coming next um and yeah we're, we're gonna talk it through we're gonna talk it out loud and I'm very curious how everyone else in this wonderful listening audience, you fellow members of Buckethead Nation, 
are, are sort of processing this. I know there's a couple members like myself who, you know, grew up with those those uh, original Thrawn novels from the 90s by Timothy Zahn. And, you know, there there is an heir to the Empire-esque element to what's going on on the screen, but it's changed. It's being updated significantly. And again, we're going to talk about it, but how are you feeling about some of those changes, some of those... Uh, alterations they're making to fall to to have the show sort of work in the new continuity in the new canon I, again i'm sort of processing it all myself sort of sussing it out how i feel how's it work for me but you know to this episode delivered the goods the first the, the the thing we've been promised since the beginning the live action introduction of grand admiral Thrawn on screen uh and it, you know, hey, <laughs> as far as it goes, as far as it comes to that, it paid the bills, baby. I, I was here for it. I was all about it. I was so uh, just psyched to see Thrawn brought to life after, gosh, what is it, 30 years now? Uh, it's just, that it, it, was, it was incredible. And then to close out the episode, we have the live action introduction, something that was teased in the first episode, obviously. Uh, and, and by the general casting announcements that we all heard months and months and months before the show came about. The live-action introduction of Ezra Bidger himself returning to being completing first sort of portion of the quest. But we must ask the question, at what cost? And again, we will talk about a lot of these things as we get into the episode itself. So I think with that being said, it, it's, it's, it's just time to get into the, the particulars of the episode as it is. Uh, we are talking about Ahsoka. Part 6 of Season 1, hopefully of, of more seasons to come. This is Far, Far Away. Original air date, September 19th, 2023. This episode is written, of course, by Dave Filoni, directed by Jennifer Getzinger, uh, who I think does a wonderful job directing, the, the, directing a lot of uh, really big sequences in this and a lot of important sequences uh, setting the tone uh, for, for, for what's to come here and, and what will be the final two episodes of this first season. So so big, big time stuff here happening. Our primary cast this week, Rosario Dawson is Ahsoka Tano, Natasha Lou Bordizzo as Sabine Wren, Ray Stevenson is Balin Skull, Ivana Sakno is Shin Hati, uh, Diana Lee and Ino Santo is Morgan Elsbeth, David Tennant returns as Hoang, Lars Mikkelsen, the voice of Grand Animal Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels, brings the character to life in this episode. He is Grand Animal Thrawn, uh, Iman Esfandi is Ezra Bridger, and that's that's basically our, our our primary cast, except for one notable new addition. We haven't seen his face yet. Will we see his face? I'm talking, of course, about Wes Chatham from The Expanse, making his Star Wars debut as Captain Enoch, and I'm excited to see where we go with that character. And we'll talk about all these things shortly. <laughs> so, our plot for this episode, the search for Grand Animal Thrawn reaches beyond the limits of the galaxy. And again, I can't wait to talk about some of the unique visuals we get to see in this episode. Uh, uh, and, and again, the, the hints and portents, the preludes and nocturnes, if you will, uh, uh, for what this episode brings to the table. Because, as you all know, I don't like to speculate, but this episode is uh, just just fodder for speculation there's there's so much to consider uh the, the things we see things we hear background information a lot to get into i'm going to try to cover it all as best as i can and i'm so glad you're here 
So it is time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Sabine Wren. Throng. What a delight it is after so long to see a familiar face. I understand it is you I have to thank for my escape from exile. Where is Ezra? Ah, yes. The desire to be reunited with your long-lost friend. How that singular focus will reshape our galaxy. Just answer the question. No need for hostility. I'm aware of your agreement with Baron Skull, and I intend to honor it. You shall have provisions, amounts, and our latest intel on Bridges' whereabouts. So that's it? You're just gonna let me walk out of here? You helped my cause. Now I shall help yours. You should know, though, that once my starship departs, you'll be stranded here forever. It's also quite possible that your friend is dead. If you survived, I'm sure he's doing just fine. You've gambled the fate of your galaxy. that belief. You wouldn't understand. Perhaps not. This week's episode opens with Ahsoka Huang in the mouth of the Purgle, traveling via their organic hyperspace route to hopefully the same destination that Morgan Elsbeth, Balin Skull, Sabine Wren, Shin Hati are all headed towards on the Eye of Scion. Uh, and this is our only moment with Ahsoka and Huang as Ahsoka sort of weighs the decision that's being made. You know, she held the Force map. She was able to intuit via the Force what Sabine chose to do, and that was to go willingly with, with Balin, Morgan Elsbeth, to the other galaxy in, in, in what I think Ahsoka views as a, as a selfish effort to find her friend and, and to risk the fate of the galaxy in order to do so. And Ahsoka struggles with that. Huang tries to put in a little bit of context, but it's not quite something that Ahsoka's ready to wrap her head around just yet until I think she has a moment to to chat with, with Sabine about it and, and sort of take measure of where they are. Uh, and it's something that I think Sabine... In later in this episode, as she as she reaches her goal, as she finds Ezra Bridger, again she's putting off having to having to wrestle with what she has wrought, and what she has possibly unleashed on on her home galaxy by by her actions, but it's not something she's willing to face just yet either. Uh, so our characters, our our heroes, are in a bit of a state of <laughs> denial in a sense, as as uh, as as as. This episode, as we speculated last week, does indeed focus on our bad guys, but not necessarily with the huge revelatory answers that I think we were all ex maybe expecting or hoping for. Uh, 
you know, I, I know I talked last week about me. I was like, oh, maybe this week we'll finally get some sort of information, some sort of insight into Balin's skull and, and, and what he's attempting to do here. And we get more clues, but we still don't really know his, his, his goals and his aims necessarily. I still don't know exactly what he wants. He talks about breaking the cycle of empires rising and falling, Jedi rising and falling, all these things, and, and attempting to start new in this galaxy. So seemingly he's, he's where he wants to be. Though I could have sworn at the beginning of the of the series, he was all in favor of, of war in in his home galaxy. So I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of uh, uh, confused <laughs> about what it is that Balin Skull wants out of this relationship he's forged with Morgan Elsbeth and now uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I, I I I hope to get more insight into that next week. Obviously, Balin will be a big part of what happens in next week's episode as they tease at the end of this week's, but. Yeah, I, I still didn't get those insights that I wanted. Uh, what this episode does confirm is, is something that's been speculated on the internet. And then there's a lot of things that the internet speculated about that this episode apparently lends more fuel to that fire. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about some of those things. But I want to try and take things in order. I don't want to jump ahead too far here. So again, that's that opening sequence, pre-credits, is, is our only moment with Ahsoka Tano in the, in the episode. The only good guy we have on screen for the chunk of this episode is Sabine Wren, who has made what Ahsoka views to be a poor choice, a selfish choice to find Ezra and to risk the fate of the galaxy by by providing the means for Thrawn to end his exile, come back to the main Star Wars galaxy, and kick off a new galactic civil war, the likes of which the New Republic is unprepared for. And vastly so, as as we sort of have seen from <laughs> their their sort of unwillingness to to accept the idea that that the imperial remnant is some sort of threat. Uh, of course, the the opening leads us to Huang uttering the line that we've known since 1977, uh, which I thought was a really cool little touch as he goes to tell Ahsoka a story of the history of the galaxy from volumes one, two, and three. I wish we could read those so that we we, we know more things than, than what we get to find out, like sort of piecemeal. They sort of spoon-feed us at their convenience. But yes, Huang, David Tennant, Doctor Who himself, uttering the lines a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away to kick off our episode as we traverse the space between space and enter a new galaxy. Uh, and, and that... I... What I want to pose to you, Buckethead Nation, is while we see the as we join the Pergil in their migration via hyperspace, uh, we see hyperspace differently than we've ever seen it before. And and what I what I what I ponder, what I ask of you as an audience is the 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 colors that we see, the way the light streams through hyperspace. Is this a result of the sort of organic hyperspace drive that the Purgles are able to generate? Or is this, you know, versus what we know as, as hyperspace via spaceships in, in Star Wars and, and sort of the more artificial access to hyperspace? Or is this simply because the speed with which the Purgle and the Eye of Scion travel, that they generate the, 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 this multicolor spectrum while they're in hyperspace? I'm very curious about these sort of things. I, I wonder if it's related to speed, because, again, we see similar color patterns 
uh, from the eye of Scion's point of view, but not quite as, as brilliant, as radiant as, as the Purgle's view of it. Uh, so I suspect it has more to do with speed than, than organic versus artificial, uh, but I was definitely intrigued by, by, by the idea of those two things. And, you know, hyperspace is getting a lot of attention if you're following up, if you're reading the High Republic stories, you know, hyperspace is a big deal there with the paths and the path engines and, 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 and are sort of challenging our, our views of hyperspace in that, in that sense. Uh, this show challenges our, our views of hyperspace in, in another sense and in, in how uh, organic beings are able to access it via the Pergil. And, and uh, this episode has, it sort of confirms a lot of what the show in general has hinted at, that the Pergil, uh, for a lot of species, are the means of transport from one galaxy to the main Star Wars galaxy. This episode confirms that, in fact, the Night Sisters, the Night Sisters of Dathomir, are from the the other galaxy, from Perdia, right? Per, Peridia. How do they say it? It's Peridia, right? <laughs> uh, so, so we find out that the Night Sisters of Dathomir are from this other galaxy, but who else came across long before documented time? I mean, it seems that the Jedi moved back and forth between galaxies via the Purgle. Who else did? Did did the Trandosians come across? Did the, the original Mandalores come from another galaxy? Uh, there, there's so many questions here that, that opens things up. And I couldn't help but think of uh, the, the old Dawn of the Jedi books and comic books that came out. And it's not necessarily the same thing, but if you look at the connections, there, there, there may be some sort of allusions to the Rattan, the Infinite Empire, if if you if you know the Dawn of the Jedi series from you know seventy five billion years in the Star Wars past, uh, there is sort of some interesting ideas that are shared between the Rattan and the the idea of this this Dathomari uh, Witch Kingdom that existed in this other galaxy, uh, and and you know we have a lot of questions about this other galaxy as we, as we arrive in it finally we see it for the first time it's similar in in many appearances to. Uh, to our main Star Wars galaxy that we know and love, you know they don't they don't seem to really break the mold as far as that goes. As as you know, like you know when Star Trek goes to another galaxy, it's it's very very different. You know, visually at the very least, this seems visually consistent with our Star Wars galaxy, which is a choice. <laughs> but I want to know about this galaxy because it seems like something's happened here. Something drove the witches of Dathomir to the other galaxy for a reason, right? Why Why are they sort of on the outs here in this galaxy? We throw, we find a new... Uh, uh, <laughs> we find a new Great Mother. We find three Night Sisters, but they do seem to be diminished, right? We don't see a lot of uh, other Night Sisters. We don't see a lot of Night Brothers at this point. There's just a lot. There's just so much going on here, all right? Uh, we find that Morgan Elsbeth has been in communion with these Night Sisters in the other galaxy. That's what led her on this path to pursue these goals, not necessarily because she's an acolyte of Thrawn, but because this seems to be a means to bring back the Night Sisters from their home galaxy to the main Star Wars galaxy and, and, and bring them back to life after their destruction at the hands of Dooku and Palpatine in the Clone Wars. Uh, it's, it's an interesting idea, and it's sort of an interesting th idea to, to tie Thrawn into the Night Sisters, into into this uh, resurrection of the Night Sisters and, and their 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 beliefs, I suppose, bringing them back, 
from the edge of extinction, as as it were. Um, <laughs> let me see my notes here. I, I'm fascinated by the whole thing with the Night Sisters. Right? We find out that Thrawn's been in league with the Night Sisters. They helped facilitate his exile or the end of his exile via Morgan Elsbeth. But what else is their connection? Uh, you know, we, we when we finally see Thrawn, when we finally see the Chimera arrive on scene, uh, and by the way, I don't want to just brush past our, our introduction to, to to these three nice sisters, the the the, the great mother, all these things, because they're they're on that giant tower above the above, you know high above the surface of the world, and it mirrors the map world that we saw in Cephas. So the, the powerful connections are there. The history of the people is there. They're, they're connecting those dots for us. But I, I, I have so many questions. What has Thrawn been doing for the Night Sisters? What brought him into allegiance with them? Uh, how did their goals end up aligning? Because, again, you know, Thrawn's Palpatine's boy. Palpatine wiped out the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars. Was it a mutual survival sort of situation? What threat did Thrawn help extinguish for the Night Sisters, who, again, appear to be on the verge of extinction in their home galaxy as well? What threat exists out there? This has led to rampant speculation online that a character from the old canon will return, a, a powerful force being, a force god, if you will, known as Abeloth. I have mixed feelings about this this notion. Abeloth was not one of my favorite characters. I was insanely frustrated <laughs> with with Luke's uh, repeated efforts to kill but not quite eliminate Abeloth through uh, through a series of novels that uh, made me mental because uh, it it just was. And maybe now I'd read them and I would have a different perspective on them. But at the time, I was so frustrated that. Luke would narrowly kill Abeloth in like seven different books, and then they would always escape to wreck and cause havoc once again. But there does appear to be another threat in this galaxy. Has Thrawn handled it, or are they, uh, has, has he merely uh, uh, put it into submission long enough for the Night Sisters to make this effort with Morgan Elsbeth for them all to leave this galaxy and get away? And and again, I'm 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 very I want to know more about the state of this galaxy. Is it a dead galaxy? Is 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 it what Shin Hati refers to? You know, Shin Hati at one point refers to the planet as a wasteland. But is this galaxy a wasteland? Is is the, is it sort of a dead dying galaxy at this point? Has there has something ravaged all the life forms of it? And that's why the Night Sisters and Thrawn need to escape it so desperately. You know, we see Thrawn's troopers. Uh, they're they're beaten, they're battered, their their armors held together with with gold plating and and uh, bands of what appear to be red duct tape. Uh, so they they've been through some stuff. It's not just that their their supplies are running low, but they've seen some. They've been through some stuff. You see it in Thrawn's uniform as well. It's it's worn, it's tattered in areas. He tries his best to maintain his imperial decorum, but they've seen stuff in this galaxy, and very as as noted in the subtitles. If you had the subtitles on the stormtroopers in Thrawn's employ are referred to as Night Troopers. I'm assuming along the lines of the Night Sisters, the Night Brothers, there is some strong connection to the Witches of Dathomir with Thrawn's forces. They are loading up a cargo to take back to their galaxy that appear to be caskets of some sort. 
if you have played the Star Wars of, of um, I'm forgetting the name of the game, <laughs> the Jedi Outcast games. Uh, uh, when we go to Dathomir, we see, you know, and we saw it. We saw it in the animated series in the Clone Wars, right? The the, the dead Night Sisters and brothers are in those kind of cocoons, those wombs, and they can be reborn by the dark magic of the Night Sisters. We have to ask ourselves the question: Is this the army that Thrawn will go back with? An army of zombified Night Sisters and Night Brothers to unleash on the New Republic? And that's one of those things that I'm not quite sure how I feel about. Because in the old canon, in the old original Thrawn books, I loved Thrawn employing uh, the cloning technology to to build up the Stormtrooper Legions via cloning technology, which I think would be even more resonant now that we've actually had the prequels. We know about the cloning technology and how it works and, and the templates and the DNA and how that all goes to be. Uh, so, so I understand why we probably can't do that, <laughs> but I'm not sure how I feel about Thrawn commanding a legion of, of uh, a zombified Night Sisters and Night Brothers. That's strange to me. Are they, are they controllable? Does he have some some sort of sway, or does he need to keep these nice sisters nearby to to control and direct them in the ways he needs to be able to use them? That seems to be the direction in which we're going with that in in regards to how Thrawn will uh, refill the ranks of the Empire. It's be via a zombie army, and again, I sort of wrestle with that. I I understand why we're doing what we're doing with that. But I just, I just, just loved him using that cloning technology back in like 1993 when those books came out. Again, it was all new to us. We didn't know about the Clone Wars. We didn't have the prequels yet. So him doing that in those books was awesome. It was like, oh man, we're going to talk about clone stuff, man. That's only been teased about. That's only been been hinted at. Uh, so. And and maybe that's what Filoni's thought is. It's like, well, we've seen the clones. Like, why do we need to go back to clones? Well, why do we need to go back to Night Sisters and Night Brothers? But obviously, they they have a plan for bringing back the Dathomir Night Witches uh, into the main Star Wars galaxy, and and that seemed to be the precedent here. And I guess it's an ally. Uh, it's it's an alliance that does seem to make some sense. You know, for Thrawn to survive in this galaxy in this exile. Why? And, and again, we're using Morgan Elsbeth. We're using Night Sisters. We, we should have known, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying, that the Night Sisters were going to be more of a presence in the series. I guess it was hinted at pretty strongly. And, and again, my, sometimes my disinterest in speculation leads me to be like, oh, yeah, I guess that was fairly obvious. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm enjoying the show. I liked it when these reveals happen. Uh, and that does seem to confirm the notion that Morak was, was, was powered by Night Sister magic as well. So... He was probably already dead at some point, revived by the Night Sisters. And so when Ahsoka cut him and his uh, that that Night Sister dust flew out of his body, yeah, that seems to confirm all those all those theories that existed online. So interesting, interesting stuff. Before we leave the the topic of the Night Sisters behind, I do want to I do want to mention when you look up on I used IMDb to get the names of the uh, uh, Night Sisters as they are portrayed. Uh, and they are Actrapa, Clothal, and Loxis, which I assume, based off of you know, Star Wars, Star Wars is not averse to uh, literary reference. Uh, but those those three names 
are also the three sisters of fate in Greek mythology, uh, Atropos, Clotho, and, and Loxus. Uh, and, and I think at one point they even referred to the Thread of Destiny. So there, uh, there is some tie to uh, some, some – uh, well, I shouldn't say tie necessarily, but the, they make allusion to referencing Greek mythology, which is, is sort of fun for me because I, I enjoy Greek mythology quite a bit. So uh, th that is of interest to, just to note it, if nothing else. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, and so, again, I, I asked the question, what's going on on Peridia, on this planet, on, in this galaxy? Uh, when we catch up with Balin's skull later in the episode, you know, we, I, I mentioned I'm not quite sure his goals, what he's looking for. Uh, but there are some interesting conversations between him and Shin Hati in this episode uh, where he talks about sort of, you know, longing for, for you know, missing the order but not missing the order, aspects of it that, that he wishes still existed, but but knowing that uh, he feels that he's been able to step back and see the cycle of light and dark rising and falling. And he believes that there is something stirring on the planet of Peridia that he can use to help break that cycle. Now, is it the same threat that Thrawn helped the Nine Sisters uh, diminish, if not eliminate? What exactly is his goal for this? Is, is he talks about not trying to seize power for himself, but is he perhaps willing to unleash an even greater danger than Thrawn into the main Star Wars galaxy uh, in order to break what he sees as this continual, unending cycle? Uh, I, I, I'm I'm intrigued by that. Uh, Skull also makes reference to uh, a Bokan Jedi, right? He calls Ezra Bridger a Bokan Jedi. Uh, and, and I think by extension, he uh, refers to Luke Skywalker as this as well because he refers to the, these Jedi as being Jedi who are, are you know, raised and developed in the wilds of the galaxy, not in the confines of the temple with like the strict adherence to the, the protocols and procedures, the ideology, the dogmatic ideology of the Jedi. And I find that very, very interesting uh, and, and, and Shin Hati wonders if she herself is one of these Bokan Jedi. And he, he, he flatly says, no, I, I taught you to be something different. And so, again, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and intrigued by both Balin Skull and Shin Hati. But we're six episodes in now, and I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of these characters. Uh, and I don't know if that's by design or not. You know, if, if perhaps Dave Filoni had a plan for these characters, and they would flesh it out over the course of two or three seasons or something along those lines. Obviously, the passing of Ray Stevens changes things dramatically. And, you know, uh, uh, Shin will, will, could possibly be a character that moves forward, and, and we get to find these answers out via Shin in later seasons, if, that, if that's to be the case. But at, at this point, I, I, I sort of feel that they are a tad underdeveloped, I'm intrigued by them. I'm fascinated by them. I want to know more. But but we're, it's just being eked out to us just so painfully slowly that I, I, I just I, – I, I want more from Balin Skull and Shin Hati, and I am just not getting it at this point. But I, I'm uh, sort of intrigued by the idea that, that Balin looks down on Ezra Bridger, that he looks down presumably on Luke Skywalker as well for being these new Jedi – you know, raised in the wilds of the galaxy and not, you know, taught by masters in the in the confines of the temple. Uh, so it would be interesting to see Balin go up against these 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 Bokan Jedi that he looks down on. Uh, and Bokan is you probably have heard us talk about that word before. It, it, in samurai culture, it is a wooden sword. Uh, we see Sabine Wren using a wooden sword 
Yeah, in that, I think it's in episode two when she's training with Huang and Ahsoka. So a Bokan is, it's an interesting choice of words at the very, very least. So <laughs> just of note. And then, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Sabine herself. And again, as Ahsoka believes, she's made this selfish choice. She's risked the fate of the galaxy uh, to reunite with her friend, with Ezra Bridger. And, you know, she's concerned that Balin Skull's not going to live up to his his bargain that he made with her on Cephas. And to an extent, he does, but it's really Thrawn who puts it into play, who allows the deal to move forward and allows Sabine to leave the Sister Temple and go out onto the planet of Perdia and search for Ezra Bridger with a, with a howler, what appeared to be a howler from, from the Jedi Knight game back in the day, uh, possibly transported to that galaxy from the main Star Wars galaxy. I, th- I believe in that game they were, home, they were uh, from Yavin 4, a little bit more reptile looking, but maybe they've evolved over the years if they were to keep that uh, origin in place. Or perhaps it is more native to Pretty and they just sort of incorporate a, a similar look to the Howlers for, for the show. I'm not quite sure on that just yet. Maybe we'll get some more information on that down the road. That would be interesting to find out. But yeah, Sabine, not, not like super concerned about the fate of the galaxy, just more interested in, in, in finding Ezra, reuniting with Ezra, and going out there and... and just being with her friend. It, it doesn't It doesn't feel at this point like Sabine has a plan past finding Ezra, right? Willing to risk it all at this point. Now, perhaps she, she simply believes that Ahsoka will find a way to get there and, 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 and then together they would all stop Thrawn from, from returning. That remains to be seen. <laughs> that remains to be seen at this point. <laughs> but we do get Sabine out in the wilds of this planet. We're, we're warned about nomads that will attack her, and she is attacked by nomads. Uh, they're, they're, they're costumed very differently than, than what we've seen in the past, but they, in my, to my ears, they made very similar noises to that of the Tusc- Tusken Raiders, obviously on Tatooine. Is there a connection there? Do the Tuscans have some connection to this other galaxy or to uh, Peridia? Again, there, there's there's questions to be asked and answered, or at least the very least asked and ignored. <laughs> we'll see what Star Wars decides to do with it. I'm intrigued if we'll find out more about these nomads now that Balin Skull and Shinati seem to have at least a temporary alliance with them uh, to hunt down Sabine Wren, who killed many members of their group. And and again, there there was something I tried to put my finger on it, and I. I I couldn't come up with anything, but there's something about the look of those nomads that was very, very familiar to me. Uh, and I don't know if it was from old Star Wars lore or canon, or if it was Dave Filoni making a reference to uh, another piece of uh, pop culture somewhere else. But there was something familiar about those those nomads and, and their look and their costuming. Uh, so if any people, if any members of Buckethead Nation have any ideas, if it's rung a bell, or if you just outright know, Hit me up and let me know. Help me fill in those blanks. I would love to figure that out. Uh, so, <laughs> eventually, uh, it, it, it is sort of fun to watch Sabine sort of chastising her howler after he runs off during that battle with the Nomads. Uh, and and uh, the, the howler's sort of efforts to make good with, with Sabine. I guess they bonded quickly. Maybe howlers are a, a quick bonding uh, species. Not quite sure entirely. But eventually, she, uh, the Howler will lead Sabine to an area that is full of these uh, 
new of a, of a new species, probably native to Peridia, but perhaps not. By the way, did I mention that when we first get to Peridia, that it's it's a Purgle graveyard around the entire planet, that that, that ring around the planet is is dead Purgle. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's very very interesting. And so, are these Purgle that Ahsoka and Hoang on? Are they going there to die? That's sad and tragic. Uh, I, I sure hope not. Or are they just going to go and is it just part of their migratory patterns and they go by to pay their respects and then move on somewhere else? I you know I maybe we'll get more Purgle questions questions answered. Maybe we won't. To, to TBD on that one. But anyways, let's go back to Sabine meeting these uh these kind of like rock turtle people. I don't think their species was given a name just yet, but if that gets updated, I will correct us on the next episode. Uh, but they're kind of fun. They're kind of a fun little cute little people, and, and Sabine's able to communicate with them. At one, especially, oh my goodness, specifically once they see the crest on her shoulder, the emblem of the rebellion, because they all have it. They all have that, and that's to Sabine, that is the sign that Ezra... They know Ezra Bridger. They want to follow. She wants to follow them. They want. She wants to, them to take her to Ezra, which is ultimately what they do. We, we find this little encampment uh, of, of of bigger rock-like structures, but there is it's made of metal. It's made of metal. It's like a uh, you know uh, uh, you know airstreams. <laughs> you know they got like these uh, intergalactic airstream trailers that they all live in and pack up, and they're kind of nomadic too, as we find out. But this is where. Sabine and Ezra meet up and reunite. Uh, jokes are made. What took so long? Blah, blah, blah. All the good stuff. All the good feelings. Uh, and again, Sabine's sort of in denial that she's risked the fate of the galaxy to reunite with her friend. Because uh, she's not too keen on on sharing with Ezra just exactly what she had to do to get to where Ezra's at. Uh, so... That's kind of where we leave things. Everything's up in the air. It looks like the bad guys are mounting... Uh, a, a dramatic, preparing for a dramatic victory, a dramatic return to the main Star Wars galaxy. Balin Skull and Shinati are going to align with those nomads to hunt down uh, Sabine and Ezra. And as Thrawn says, both these parties are expendable. So having them out in the wild means nothing to his plans. Whether whether Shin and Balin are successful in return in time to depart, he's got no time for Jedi. He doesn't care. So if they get left behind, they get left behind. It's, it makes no never mind to Admiral Thrawn. He's got bigger fish to fry in the main Star Wars galaxy as he loads up the Chimera with, again, what we presume to be the bodies of many Night Sisters and Night Brothers to, to replenish the Imperial ranks and, and, and be led by him uh, in, in conquest against the New Republic. Also of note, that was of, of note and of interest. Good job, Tom. <laughs> Thrawn's first appearance, his arrival on, on, on camera, when the Chimera arrives, and we see him working, walking through the ranks of night troopers. The cult-like following that Thrawn has developed since his exile. I found that to be insanely interesting. Uh... Obviously representative of the Empire still to this day, but there seems to be a fanatical belief in Thrawn now from these night troopers. Whether they are the original troopers that traversed the galaxy with him when Ezra and the Purgle 
of uh, hyperspace out from from the Battle of Lethal, or if these are reanimated Night Brothers and uh, for, that the Night Sisters provided to Thrawn, uh, to be determined. But something very interesting about that sort of feverish cult-like devotion to the Grand Admiral, uh, and just uh, just another. I just want to say it again. Just awesome to see Lars Mikkelsen bring the character to life in live action. I still think he delivers the good on the voice, uh, and 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 to see the character on the screen is just delightful. <laughs> That's all I can really say about it. It's so so good. The episode has a lot to chew on. There's a lot in the episode to parse through, to to, to break down, to ponder over. And uh, it'll be interesting next week when Ahsoka and Huang arrive. Uh, uh, they're vastly outnumbered, even with Thrawn, or excuse me, even with Ezra and Sabine, if they find each other. Uh, it's still four against an army. And and how exactly will they stop Thrawn from returning to the Star Wars galaxy? Or will they? And uh, And... Yeah, I'm intrigued. We got two episodes left to see how this is going to land. And in my opinion, they have a lot to accomplish. But so far, the show's been bringing the goods, delivering the thunder. And that's what it needs to do. Uh, so I think with that being said, I'm giving the episode nine buckets. Again, there's a lot of information. Not a lot of on the action, but that's okay. A lot of, of, of dialogue setting the tone, setting things up, but we're, we're, we're establishing those connections, right? We're seeing that Morgan Elsbeth isn't a Thrawn acolyte. She's doing this for the Night Sisters to bring back the Night Sisters from the edge of extinction. And if that means tearing the New Republic apart via Thrawn's uh, new zombie army, so be it. So be it, Jedi. And, and yeah, it's just, we're getting the answers. I want more Balin and Shin. I want to know what they're looking for. I want to know what this power they hear they feel stirring is is it going to be something like abeloth a, a, a force god that that can uh, render people into blubbering pools of insanity perhaps perhaps not but it is gosh if these threats do return to the main star wars galaxy I, i'm just gonna say it now and i'm sure i'm not the first and i'm sure i won't be the last but if Thrawn returns to the main Star Wars galaxy, if there is an army of Night Brothers and Night Sisters being used by the Imperial Remnant to destroy the New Republic, if all these things happen, if Balin Skull and Shinati come back as well, Ahsoka Tano, all these things, if these things return, if there's some Force God like Abeloth crosses the void into the main Star Wars galaxy as well, if they do not find some way to bring Luke Skywalker into the fray, I, personally, will be very upset because it's already a little upsetting to think that, you know, Luke's just kind of sitting on his hands building the Jedi Temple and all these things are happening and he's just not involved. Kind of bums me out a little bit. Just, you know, just saying. I don't, you know, just saying. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. It, it's it's full of all kinds of slippery slopes to be on and and... If they return to the main Star Wars galaxy and Luke's not involved in the conflict in some way, I will be upset. And we're just going to leave it at that for now. So let's see what Ahsoka and friends have in store for us next week. Again, two episodes left. Uh, and, and the stakes are just getting higher and higher and higher. Uh, I can't wait to see if we get this. If, will, will Captain Enoch be unmasked? Will we see the face of West Chatham in Star Wars Galaxy? Will he look a lot like a Knight Brother? 
to be determined. Can't wait. So much coming up on the show. Again, again, again. Those next two episodes, I think are going to be jam-packed. Jam-packed with good stuff, and I can't wait. Can't wait. Nine buckets for this week's episode. Remember that. All right, Buckethead Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Mandovision Podcast. This is episode 217. We're crushing it. And I am your night podcaster, Nargai Tom. Thank you so much for checking out our small independent Star Wars podcast. Reach out to us on social media. We're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter slash X and Instagram. You can email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If your podcasting platform allows you to give reviews, I truly appreciate it if you take the tight Take the time to do those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. Really help the small independent podcasts like us stand out, not get lost in the extra galactic shuffle. So we thank you so, so much for that. All right, Bucketheads, we're going to be back next week. Keep being the best Star Wars fans you can be. You're the best. You're the greatest. Encourage people to be watching this show. Answer their questions for them. Help them out. You know the information. We got the information. Point him to this podcast. That's a great way to, to help people out, too. So <laughs> I would really appreciate it if you did that. But help them out. Get them all up to speed. Uh, and, and, hey, point them at some Thrawn books if you want to. That's always a good idea. Because more Thrawn is never a bad thing, in my opinion. All right, Bucketheads. We'll be back next week to talk about Part 7 of Ahsoka. But in the meantime, remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.